Hello and welcome back to the Power Switch, gaming's call-in talk radio show. My name is Peter Spasia, and today is May 26th, 2018. This is the 46th episode of the podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We use Discord as a means to add and drop callers to talk about video games and switch the power that is found in a typical gaming podcast. You can join our server to participate during recordings at rhymeswithasia.com call. On today's episode, PS4's final stage in our headline roundup, our main topic is Battlefield 5 doing the right thing, and then we will get to your calls if you're tuning in live on Discord. Some housekeeping for you, our E3 2018 Yes or No contest is currently active. You can go to rhymeswithasia.com slash E3 2018 to see the questions that you can answer. And you, know, you put in those yes or no questions in, uh, either yes or no, along with the tiebreaker. And the winner, whoever scores the best, at the end, after E3, will be our guest on that post-E3 2018 show. Now, in the next couple days, it's the last week to submit your entry and get four bonus points because of how early you're submitting it. Next week, two bonus points. And then the week before our pre-E3 show, it's zero points because you're getting that added benefit of time. So it's playing that game, you know, whichever works out for you. Uh, I apologize. I am sneezy. I'm runny. Allergy season is a mess. And then still busy with puppy with a good old little Loki there. He's so cute. Uh, but we have a good show for you here today. So let's get started with the game headlines from the last week in our headline roundup. According to Sony boss John Codera, PS4 is entering the final stage of its life cycle. Uh, some interviews have taken this to mean three years, you know, kind of putting it in 2021. Uh, it's, and there are different reports like Eurogamer is also saying that Sony and AMD are communicating uh, specifically for AMD's Ryzen platform, uh, possibly thinking like, oh, that could be for a PlayStation 5, maybe delivering in 2019, 2020, who knows? Uh, so PS5 news has started to kind of trickle out a little bit. Uh, it's first interesting that we're talking a little bit about PS4's end of the life cycle when not only there is still time left in it, but you still have to sell games for PlayStation 4, especially with E3 coming up and the four big titles, the, the first party games that they are going to be talking about at E3. But not only that, when Sean Layden went out and said, oh, we're not talking about hardware at E3 2018. Well, that's a little unusual. Uh, when it comes to the three-year thing, um, you know, Sony has always wanted the extended life cycles for its consoles. I don't think that means we'll necessarily see PS5 in 2021. I think that's a bit late for it. They kind of need that, that transfer period where you get the new system out there, build up a little steam for it while the PS4 is fizzling out. Not while it's at the end of that curve. You kind of have to have the two sort of crossover a little bit. So if I had to guess, I'd still say that, oh, maybe they start to hint at it at the end at, you know, this year's uh, PSX. Maybe they start to hint at it a little bit. Uh, maybe they do a reveal at, uh, you know, E3 2019. And maybe by early 2020, uh, we're seeing something like that. Fall 2020 at the latest. I wouldn't be surprised to see holiday 19. But I think early 20 may be kind of the sweet spot there where you're talking about maybe games that get a PS4 and a PS5 version. You know, assuming that PS5 will be backwards compatible with PS4 games, of course. This is all total speculation, but wanted to get it out there. Like, yeah, we're already talking about, oh, PS5 is in the distance. Not, you know, of course, not confirmed to call it PS5, but 
we're starting around the downturn of PS4. And it kind of makes sense. We had a few years of building it up. We have uh, had a couple years here of good sustained, you know, life cycle. But now we're kind of getting into that back third here. So not surprised that that's starting to be talked about a little bit. Nintendo Switch is, of course, up and running and, you know, as hot as ever. Couple interesting stories out of Japan this week. First of all is Resident Evil 7 Cloud version. Uh, this is an experiment that I guess Capcom is taking currently in Japan where, let's be honest, their Wi-Fi and internet situation is much better than in the United States. So an ideal situation to try out there where I guess you buy a pass for about what was the equivalent of like $18 or something like that for 180 days. And you're not downloading the game to your Switch system, but you're almost doing the whole PlayStation Now thing where you're doing the cloud gaming having a off-site server doing the game processing work, streaming the video to, in this case, your Nintendo Switch. Uh, interesting that this is being tried out. Again, Japan a much better internet situation than here in the States, uh, but it's just also, it's interesting that Nintendo Switch is trying something like that. And it would be a solution if cloud gaming catches on where Switch is overall generally underpowered compared to its competition. So if an off-site server can handle the game computing power, why not have it stream to the system? Uh, we'll have to see how this you know, ha is handled in Japan. Like it doesn't really work outside of Japan and this version of the game does have English voice and subtitles and all that, I guess, contrary to original reports. So, but you know, the, the ecosystem and the infrastructure is definitely Japan-centric for right now. Japan is also releasing a version of Nintendo Switch without the TV dock, an HDMI cable, and a power cable, you know, for less money. This would be meant for a second Switch for the family or another Switch to take it on the go. And this makes sense in, in a sense that Nintendo wants Switch to move from a one per household thing to a multiple device per household. Almost like what 3DS is, where you're buying multiple 3DSs for different members of the family, so it's their own personal unit. Uh, but granted, that would mean they're starting to move the message in away from this is a console that you can take on the go to this is a personal handheld device that can be docked as a console. So I think as we see integrated, you know, Japan, again, more of a mobile you know, transportation is a big thing over there. You need something to play while you're sitting on trains and things like that. So again, that makes more sense for the market. Uh, but I think we'll start to see this sort of messaging shift when Nintendo wants to sell more Switches as a more personal portable unit as opposed to, oh, a console here from the family. And we start talking about eight family members or up to eight on a Nintendo Switch Online family plan. You're kind of starting to see things heading in that direction. Yakuza 3, 4, and 5 are getting PS4 ports in Japan. It continues the massive resurgence of the Yakuza franchise. Uh, you know, we saw Kiwami and Kiwami 2, and that was, you know, because of, I guess, the success over in the States, but the, the real success is over in Japan. Now, these will be separate releases. They will be releasing throughout you know, the different months here. Uh, Yakuza 3 is apparently 90% complete over there. 
will be coming out in Japan on August 9th. Yakuza 4, planned for fall 2018. And then 5 in spring 2019. Uh, these are aiming for 1080p, 60 frames per second gameplay. And uh, again, no confirmation if they're coming stateside, but if they're going, if Sega's going full speed here on bringing Yakuza full circle, uh, would not surprise us if, you know, a delayed release over here in North America would happen. Uh, that would make a whole lot of sense, but that's really good to see for that franchise. Alola forms are coming to Pokemon Go. Uh, in a way, it's surprising that this is happening even before the Sinnoh Pokemon from Generation 4 are coming out. If I had to guess, that would probably happen fall to winter of this year. I mean, give Hoenn a little more time here, but yeah, Alola Forms coming out as a more of a summer event, uh, so we'll be seeing some of those different tropical versions of Kanto Pokemon uh, hitting Pokemon Go. Why? I don't think it's necessary. Maybe it's just for the more of the collection aspect, but I guess it's a good thing to see, but we'll have to see if, you know, if that comes to bear, especially with if Pokemon Go is tied into a version with Switch. They might need that support uh, for if you can somehow transfer Pokemon between, if there's some sort of functionality between the two, if that comes to bear. Just something to keep an eye on, but Pokemon Go did announce Alola Forms will be coming. Let's talk a rumor for uh, Super Smash Brothers. Always interesting to see what's kind of happening and percolating in that circle. The source on Reddit known as Dasvergeben, who I guess has been known for uh, tipping off you know, Metroid Prime 4 and Bandai Namco, and also recently kind of putting the pieces together about Retro Studios and a supposed Star Fox Grand Prix. I guess he's been talking about Super Smash Brothers, so of course not confirmed, but in this moment in time, let's prognosticate, let's see if it comes to be true. Uh, he says on Reddit, quote, I know for sure, and from one of my most credible and proven sources, parentheses, the one who told me about Metroid Prime 4 being developed by Bandai Namco before anyone else said or knew anything about that, is that Ridley is a newcomer. The game is in fact a sequel, but there will be assets being reused to some extents. From a different source that I have also known to get things right in the short time that I have known them, there will be the return of Ice Climbers and a new Konami rep, Simon Belmont. They say that they know that Ridley will be revealed at E3. I was even told by them that everyone is coming back from Super Smash Bros. on Wii U and 3DS. That includes all the guests, but it otherwise will be a new game, which I found interesting. There will, in fact, be no cuts. All right, so just of that, Ridley at E3, Ice Climbers. Ice Climbers feels like a given at this point, right? Like, it makes sense. All the work was done. They were scrapped because of the 3DS limitations. And Simon Belmont's an interesting one, if that ends up being true. First of all, that Konami would again be pairing with Nintendo in this case. That Konami would even be active in this space. I think, one, that's a little questionable. But, hey, if they had another rep to uh, to represent and, you know, from a Nintendo game, I mean, Simon Belmont would be a good pull. Though it would be an interesting kind of poke in the eye a little bit, especially with Bloodstained going on right now. I'm Bloodstained, Curse of the Moon, uh, you know, having some good success right now. You know, people talking up that game, the kind of 8-bit Castlevania 3-like kind of game. Uh, this is even before Bloodstained uh, Ritual of the Night. Uh, that's that's really interesting. If Simon Belmont is eventually announced for Super Smash Bros. for Switch, that'd be very interesting. Again, 
no you know real truth in it but a, a source that has gotten something seemingly right lately we'll have to see how that all plays out and then some sad news uh john bain also known as total biscuit and the cynical brit has passed away at the age of 33 after his four-year battle uh, public battle really with with cancer uh really Really sad to see. Of course, uh, several episodes ago, we were talking about his retirement as a game critic, and he was writing up kind of as the, uh, this is the last kind of messaging I'll be able to give to you because I'm winding down and facing his own mortality head on. I, that was very sobering at the time, uh, but for him to be gone so soon, uh, that that is really rough. I mean, you can have the opinions that you do about him. Uh, he seemed to be overall a... Of overall positive force for good for putting consumers first uh, in the game industry. And I think he can certainly be remembered for that. Um, but regardless of the politics, uh, regardless of his thoughts on games, I mean, it, no one should be taken by cancer that early. So that's, that's really sad to hear. And, you know, we, we wish the best for him and his family. And that's, that's really tough. But let's get to our main topic. Uh, one of the big reveals this week was Battlefield 5. And we kind of had... Hints that it was going to happen on May 23rd there for a little while. And uh, overall, I think it was a good reveal. I mean, let's get to the basics of what they talked about. October 19th is the release date, first of all. It's for PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Uh, overall, a good release time. It's, what, one week before Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, but you, it's kind of a different audience there with you know the first-person shooter crowd and then the, you know, the third-person adventure open world sort of rockstar game there so maybe they can can double dip there and maybe they're playing to different markets so overall i mean when october 21st 2016 was the reveal date for battlefield one their last big release i mean that's kind of fitting around the same time and then that's even i think it's a week after black ops 4 so at least you're not right on top of each other there so that makes sense uh the one of the interesting things is that they're changing up their microtransaction monetization strategy. They are not doing a premium season pass, nor are there any loot boxes planned. Of course, EA has to monetize in some fashion. They will have an in-game currency as well as, you know, can use real money to buy that in-game currency for cosmetic microtransactions. And hey, look, if microtransactions are going to be in the game, give the players a store that they know exactly what they're buying, and give the player that option, what, you know, whether they can earn the money in game or if they want that, you know, quick hit. I want that cosmetic thing now. I mean, of course, don't have it, you know, affect the balance of the game. But cosmetics, sure. But good on EA as the messaging currently stands. Let's let's note that right now. That who knows if it may change. But good on EA for recognizing what happened with Battlefront Two. They could have easily said, you know, Battlefield Five. We don't care. We want to make that money and just drop loot boxes on consumers again. But for right now, I think this is the right way of going about their microtransaction strategy. Also interesting that there will be no Battle Royale mode. Uh, and I think they didn't really, they didn't talk about this too much, but if I had to kind of guess, I think if they're putting in a lot of time, especially on a single player campaign or you know different little mini stories, uh, which you know, Call of Duty Black Ops 4, their competition won't have if they're putting in the focus on that to deliver the best product they can there. Maybe they see that the Battle Royale bubble could be on the verge of bursting. And if they don't want to 
get themselves caught up in that. If they don't have the development time to put into that, then don't put off, you know, don't put in a, a haphazard, half-assed job, really. Uh, you know, if you want to have a battle royale mode, you want it to be the best you can to rise as the cream of the crop in this sort of many battle royale game environment right now. So yeah, focus on the things that they know they're good at. And so this is war stories where they're kind of bringing that back from Battlefield 1. Little, you know, mini stories that don't have an overall overarching campaign tale or narrative. Um, they talked about that one of these will be kind of in Norway. And, you know, again, this is, again, it's set in World War II. I think that's important to talk about, you know, Battlefield, even going back to 1942 and all that. That's that's kind of their thing originally with Battlefield. But they're saying we're going to kind of tell the stories that haven't been told. Now, whether this is rooted in reality or not, I'm not sure. But it seems like, yeah, we're not going to do the whole, you know, storming the beach at Normandy. Like everyone's done that before. But if they want to go to different, you know, parts of the war front, I mean, Norway would certainly be one of them. If they want to tell different stories, you know, by all means, absolutely. They also talked about combined arms, which will be their co-op mode for different tasks there. They'll also have their multiplayer classic suite and their tides of war mode. So again, yeah, Battlefield 5, focus on what they know they're good at. If they don't want to jump in the battle royale, you know, sort of pond, that's fine. Uh, certainly surprised by that. But, you know, I think that's overall taking the right approach here. But if you watched the trailer for Battlefield 5, you noticed that one of the main characters shown was a woman in battle, particularly a woman with a prosthetic hand. And if you are someone who I think is balanced and, you know, kind of a person of the world who's not isolated and angry at things, let's put it that way, I think that's it's great. Uh, it's cool to see that you know sort of character being introduced in this battlefield world. However, there is the vocal minority who does not think that to be the case. Uh, the the furor from some about women in Battlefield Five and their misinformed facts of oh they weren't on the battlefield in World War Two. I need realism in my battlefield, which of course means that people riding a horse and shooting flamethrowers is perfectly real or, you know, dying and spawning within seconds is perfectly real. Look, the whole idea, when you start throwing around the term SJW as a pejorative, you really start to lose any sense of logic and reason within your argument. So, as much as I'd like to say that these just should be flat out ignored and, you know, not considered, uh, they unfortunately get a little too vocal sometimes for it to be ignored. So I should say, you know, they should be denounced. Uh, it's a factually wrong point of view to have. Uh, it should be totally disregarded. Uh, but when the general manager of EA Dice has to make a Twitter statement about this, Again, I think it shows they're right on with their messaging. So this is Oscar Gabrielson, who is, again, the GM at EA Dice. In a Twitter thread, he said, quote, It's been two days since the reveal of Battlefield Five, so I wanted to share some thoughts on the reactions so far. It sure seems we created a lot of excitement and also some questions on a lot of different topics. First, let me be clear about one thing. 
player choice and female playable characters are here to stay. We want Battlefield 5 to represent all those who were a part of the greatest drama in human history and give players choice to choose and customize the characters they play with. Our commitment as a studio is to do everything we can to create games that are inclusive and diverse. We always set out to push boundaries and deliver unexpected experiences. But above all, our games must be fun. The Battlefield Sandbox has always been about playing the way you want, like attempting to fit three players on a galloping horse with flamethrowers. With BF5, you can get the chance to play as who you want. This is hashtag everyone's battlefield. I'm really looking forward to EA Play, where we will dig deeper into the core MP experience and provide you all with some hands-on gameplay. Meanwhile, thanks for all the support. So, yes, absolutely right on Oscar Gabrielson. I, you know, to say it's everyone's battlefield, yes, make games more inclusive, absolutely. If these people are going to boycott your game, especially when a woman is on the cover of the standard edition, then you don't need those players anyway. I'd like to think that here at the Power Switch, uh, we've kind of attracted the kind of audience that is inclusive and likes to talk about games and isn't going to you know, put down other people's uh, perspectives and things like that. So we have this kind of inclusive environment. So I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing uh, your thoughts on this and other things, certainly. But I, personally, I will not tolerate the, buh, the SJWs argue women in my games because it's nonsense. It's foolish. And you look ridiculous and sound ridiculous when you come out with that. So I, I think that that's frankly unacceptable. Kudos to EA and DICE there. I think they have a good hit on their hands. Is it something I'm interested in? I'm, Battlefield 1 didn't necessarily hit for me. I mean, maybe I didn't just play it at the right time or something like that. I'd like to give it a try, uh, certainly. But uh, I hope, you know, when it comes to Black Ops 4 and, and Battlefield 5 in the end here, I'm, I'm all for inclusion in games. And I hope they continue to do great things with that series. Tell more stories that they think need to be told. So that's what I have to say. When we come back, we will get to the callers. We can talk about the main topic, headlines, games you're playing recently, really anything is there on the table. That's when we come back here on the Power Switch. Welcome back to the Power Switch. I forgot to mention there when it was all the talk about Battlefield 5, I really like the cover art that they have. I mean, you know, the standard edition and the deluxe edition or the uh, whatever, the improved edition they have there with, with more content and all. It's it's the female and male variants, but the overall color of just like the blue there with the kind of orange figure is really striking. You know, good use of complement of colors there. I'm I'm really digging that sort of art style they have just on the cover. I, that was, I thought that was really neat. Worth mentioning. But anyway, we've got callers here. Let's see what you guys have to say. Joining us from New Jersey, Matt, welcome back to the Power Switch. How are you? Hello. I'm doing pretty good, all things considered. Yeah, it's just a, a stuffy, stuffy time of the year. So what would you like to talk about today? Ooh, so Yakuza, huh? Yeah, like that's that's some big news there. As far as I know, you went through and played all of them leading up to six. So I'm sure you have thoughts on three, four, and five in particular. Yes. So Yakuza was my cross to bear for for a year, so to speak. I started the franchise playing Yakuza Zero as my first Yakuza game almost exactly a year ago. It was 
and I just uh, I loved it. It was absolutely incredible. And then the the remake of Yakuza One, Yakuza Kiwami, came shortly afterwards, and then I managed to play Yakuza Two on the on the PlayStation Two, and bought a PS3 just to play Yakuza Three, Four, and Five, wow. and then finally made my way down to Yakuza Six when it when it came out. That's that's got to be fascinating to not only that, but you know, the I'm sure the jump from Kiwami and you know the updated game and graphics and all for PS4, but then to go back to PS2, uh, that must have been quite a jump. It's tough, um, which gives me some complicated feelings on the the, the upcoming remake of Yakuza 2, uh, Kiwami 2. There are aspects of the new engine for Yakuza 6 that I don't really enjoy, um, and to some extent I feel that there are parts of it that are a step down, but at the same time, it is so utterly impossible to go back and play that game on PS2 Right. that I feel like I cannot in good faith say, you know, don't play the remake, play the original. So I, I feel very conflicted on it. But as a whole, I expect Kiwami 2 to be a, a, a big upgrade overall. Once it made the jump to PS3, they ended up using that engine for a very long time. Yagaza Zero still runs on that engine, albeit oh, wow. very heavily modified. Okay, interesting. Did not know that. Despite its seventh game in Yagaza 6, the, the franchise is only on its third engine. Wow, wow. So I, I think another big thing to note is that they're turning these around so quickly in Japan. I mean, we... We were saying that, you know, last year was like the big resurgence because of how well it was taken on in the West. Uh, but mm-hmm. to have these lined up in such a quick succession, I mean, to have summer for three, fall for four, spring then for five. I mean, I'm sure we'll, we'll get them delayed, but that quick succession is just incredible. I think that they are doing their best to get the entire franchise on one system for everyone to play before the... Um, the next game, uh, which so far just has a working title of Shin Yakuza, being New Yakuza, mm. uh, I think they want to have a place for all the new fans to play that to play this franchise before the new one hits. And I, I think it's really exciting because it's very difficult to hunt down some cop, uh, copies of these older games. Uh, I think it's a given that we will eventually get these in the West, not only because. I think they only exist because of the West, but also be, uh, because I follow some of the, the members of the localization team for the games on Twitter, and the the way that they talked about them made it seem like they've they've been working on them a little bit. That is promising, and yeah. That's a big deal, not only because of how incredibly difficult they are to get your hands on nowadays, but also because a different team took over for Yakuza 5 onward. So the localizations for three and four are not really good. Mm. Um, there are a lot of things that got changed in the localizations that are kind of inconsistent with each other. And, you know, once Yakuza 5 came around, they started to enforce, like, more faithful consistency with the original versions. Um, like, a lot of the names that they changed were changed back to the original versions and everything. Oh, interesting. And so I expect that they're going to relocalize these games to be a higher quality localization as well as... Uh, restoring a lot of cut content that that uh, never made it to the West in Yakuza 3. Hmm. Well, you know, anything uh, to make a better overall experience, for sure. Yes, and Yakuza 3 especially needs it, I think. Um, I, I really enjoy that game's story, and I think that the, that the game is very worth playing, but 
it runs very poorly. It was them experimenting with a new engine and they didn't have a lot of time to really work on it and give it the time that it deserved. So it stutters a lot. It, it feels like it's going to crash all the time. Uh, I never experienced a crash when I was playing, but it sure felt like we got close plenty often. And three and four, I think, get overlooked a lot. And I hope that uh, I hope that a lot of people finally get the chance to play them. Of the games that are getting re-released, five would be the overall best game. Three and four kind of compete for the better story. Mm. Uh, five definitely does definitely has the weakest story of those three, but three and four have good and bad in different ways. So it's tough for me to choose between them, but I like I like all three of them very much, and it's really cool to see them. Yeah, just to see them getting the attention that they kind of need in the West. And that's really interesting because you know if you get all three of those you know updated for PS4 running on the same system, overall the same sort of mechanics, all you know 1080p, 60 that kind of performance uh, may kind of balance out some of the the game elements there. That'd be really interesting. So for those that are listening and they're wondering, you know, first of all, what is Yakuza? How would be the best way to get into the franchise? And also, you know, how would you personally rank those order of games as, as far as your favorites go? Ooh. If someone has no idea what a Yakuza game is, that's kind of difficult to describe because there's not a lot like it out on the market. I'd say the closest game that there's ever been is Shenmue. Okay, um, yeah. It's a game that is just kind of about a guy's life in Japan in a way. They ha- it's, it's, it's got a crime drama main story, but there's also a lot of side content based on just the people that he meets uh, around the city, uh, the this, this district in Tokyo, uh, Kamurocho, and a lot of the things he just does in his daily life, which is a big appeal for the series. It's got stellar all-around gameplay, story, characters, all of it. Uh, and I'd say, without a doubt, the best place to start the franchise is with Yakuza 0. Mm-hmm. Yakuza 0 is my favorite game in the franchise. And I think it's got the best gameplay, the best story, it's got the best everything, and it is also a prequel to the entire rest of the franchise. So there's there's no there's nothing that you're missing mm-hmm. uh, from beforehand. There are some callbacks to other games, but it's it's you're at the first game in the franchise from a chronological standpoint. So you have a great starting place to meet the main character, Kiryu, and also uh, the other main character of the game, who go, who is a supporting character for the rest of the franchise, Majima. Mm-hmm. As for where to go from there, uh, Yakuza Kiwami, the remake of Yakuza 1, is the un- undoubtedly the next step. And then from there, uh, where you want to go next depends on how into this franchise you are. Uh, I personally believe the best way to do it is to play all of them in numbered order. Mm, so okay. zero... Kiwami, two, three, four, five, six. And maybe that by is, the time you get there, it'll be you know, Kiwami 2 at that point. So, uh, Well, Kiwami 2 comes out in just two months, I think. Yeah. Comes out at the end of August. So, yeah. And then hope, hopefully by hopefully if you uh, if you go in order like that, three will come out, then four will come out, then five will come <laughs> out, and all the way through. Yeah. As for my favorites, um, I actually, when I, when I finally finished Yakuza 6 and finished my journey through these games, I rank them in two different ways. I rank them from gameplay and story differently. Yakuza 0 is my favorite in both of those regards. But for gameplay, after Yakuza 0, the second best is 5, followed by Kiwami, 6, 4, 
three and two. So pretty much, you know, reverse release order with a couple small shakeups there. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the exception of Zero, Five has the most fully featured gameplay experience with the most undoubtedly the most variety in what in the things you can do, but not as much polish as Zero. And it's just if you want a big game that will take you forever to do everything in, Yakuza Five is the way to go. Mm. Uh, and Yakuza Six has its shortcomings in that regard. Uh, it is much like Three. It is a new engine, uh, although it is a much more advanced engine than Three's engine ever was. But the consequence of that is that they're they're working out a bunch of things that they haven't figured out because they're working with new technology. It is the first time that they have worked with a new engine on a new system that they didn't debut it with a spin-off game. Okay. So this is the this is the first numbered entry in a Yakuza franchise where they were experimenting with technology for the first time. And yeah, with um, the gameplay, I mean, you said you know two was the last, but that was because it's on PS2. Uh, with Kiwami Two, that could certainly make a change that way. Yes. Uh, when it comes to story, again, zero is at the top for me. And then the runner-up there is actually Yakuza 2. Hmm. Um, Yakuza 2 had an incredible story for me. It follows up on the first game in probably the most cohesive way that this, that this franchise does, does any follow-ups. Uh, and after Yakuza 2, the lead writer left the series and was replaced with a new guy. And I believe his name is Masayoshi Yokoyama. He is a fantastic character writer, but he cannot do stories quite the same way as the original guy did. Mm. Um, with the exception being Yakuza 0, where he had a co-writer. So for story, 0, 2, and Kiwami, in that order, are my favorites. Um, followed by 3, 4, 5, and 6. I felt like the stories started to go more and more off the rails as it went. Um, and again, it, it's it's what I said about his character writing versus story writing that gets distilled down more and more with each game, where the characters get better and the main plot gets worse, to the point where we're at Yakuza Six now, where I think the main plot was a mess, but it has some of the best character writing in the entire franchise, and the new characters are all incredible. The old characters, um, you know, the way that they've developed and and grown over the series looks so great but there's an underlying conspiracy through that game's main plot that has the dumbest resolution I've ever seen <laughs> and not not a good type of dumb. Hmm. All seven mainline games that I've played are absolutely worth playing. They are absolutely great games. But as, you know, for how, mu- how hard I got hooked on Zero and how hard I went into the entire franchise, all of my opinions feel so much stronger for me and just some of them are going to be better than others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's going to continue with with those uh, PS4 remakes for sure. Uh, you know, the main mm-hmm. gameplay being you know the the 3D brawler. I think some people say is oh it's Japanese GTA, but that's distilling it so so poorly. Uh, you know, it's it's it is that 3D brawler as far as its key action gameplay, of course, with non lethal takedowns. Uh, but <laughs> but you know, there's all of those mini games on top of it. It's, it's a very vast world if you want to just yeah live in japan like that's that's the way to go for that game they're all just very big games with a lot of details there's so much to find in the games and in that in that way they are similar to gta where it's just the detail in the world and all the things that there are for you to discover there is it feels endless Hmm. and so it's it's 
it's a game that doesn't play like GTA whatsoever, but it does feel like it has the same scope. Perfect. Well, that's one heck of a Yakuza primer there. Matt, uh, we're going <laughs> to let it leave you there. Uh, you can find Matt on Twitter at GrimaceDuminis, in case you want uh, his impressions there on games and much more. Matt, thanks so much for calling in. Really appreciate the time. You have a good one. Of course. Thank you. All right, guys, thanks for calling in. When we come back, uh, we'll get to what I've been playing, and it's that new Quantic Dream game. About an hour and a half in, I'll give my very early impressions so far. Then we'll talk about the games that are coming out this week. That's when we come back here on the Power Switch. Welcome back to the Power Switch. This week's tempo control music is brought to you by Castlevania Symphony of the Night. You can find a new video game music top 10 list from a specific game soundtrack every Tuesday over at youtube.com slash rhymes with Asia. Let's talk about what I've been playing and it's that Detroit Become Human game on PS4. This is the David Cage game from Quantic Dream. Uh, yeah, it's been a kind of talked up a little bit for a while. Of course, you have Heavy Rain and Beyond Two Souls, the last two games from David Cage there. Reviews came out a day before, and they're definitely mixed. It's pretty polarizing. And I think at the end of the day, you know, David Cage games are, it's really a matter of taste. It's a matter of what you are, I shouldn't say willing to put up with, but what you determine is a game that you'd like to play. So, I mean, for example, these are, at the end of the day, they're you know, adventure games where you're doing a lot of walking and interacting with objects, granted in interacting in weird ways, either with the right analog stick or the touchpad. Uh, but you're making then, you know, big decisions with this dialogue or, or what you decide to do and what order you decide to do them. And the big hook with this game is they have the big flow chart of decisions. So you're making your decisions throughout the 10-ish hour experience. And people are saying that you are getting wildly different endings, which is really interesting to hear because you sometimes think about what the diamond structure where you start narrow, you widen out with your choices, but then you kind of come back at the end of the day to a kind of solid ending or maybe a couple slight variations. But uh, people are talking who have you know beaten the game and they're saying that they are wildly different. Characters can die you know, early and the game still moves on. There's no real fail state with the game. Uh, if I had to say kind of where I am, I'm kind of back to Connor uh, after, you know, the, the first mission opens with, you know, Connor on the rooftop saving the hostage, that demo that was not only out on the PS4 uh, sort of store with, uh, you know, before the game came out and you got to try the demo. Not only that, but you saw the demo at, was the PSX or one of those shows there. That's the first one of the game. Like that just opens up straight up. Um, but I, I guess I'm now back to Connor again. So that's about four five missions in, maybe about an hour and a half in. So definitely have a lot more to go. My early takes on it is that there are certainly more interesting characters and the the initial impressions of those characters is, is stronger than either in Heavy Rain or Beyond Two Souls. Uh, Beyond Two Souls, of course, did have the benefit of you had Ellen Page and Willem Dafoe as actors there, uh, but the writing kind of let them down overall. And then Heavy Rain, I think, had better writing, but the acting performances, I mean, you had French people trying to play Americans, and it was always this kind of weird dynamic there with, you know, that game kind of really trying to 
get off the ground with like a big murder mystery there. Yeah, they had aimed out Indigo Prophecy, you know, Fahrenheit 451, whatever you want to call it. Uh, not Fahrenheit 451, it was just Fahrenheit, right? That was the European title. Um, but yeah, to make it a big game on PS3 there with Heavy Rain. Anyway, I really uh, think that the characters are well done, at least as far as initial impressions go. Uh, granted, it may sour over time. Uh, David Cage may have his penchant for less than subtle writing uh, kind of flare up a little bit. I mean, it's already happened a bit here and there. But when you have actors like Lance Henriksen and you have an actor like Clancy Brown uh, really delivering good performances, uh, that really, really helps. Uh, also, it's good to see characters or uh, actors like Valerie Curry uh, returning to play Kara. Kara, uh, I've mentioned on, on this show is, you know, I was fascinated when in 2013 that video came out and it's kind of amazing to see her and her story come full circle in a full game here with Detroit Become Human. Now, granted, you do have Connor and Marcus and they're also pretty strong as well, but uh, I'm, I'm glad to see Kara. It's, it's good to see the representation of Detroit. And uh, there was a, a criticism that I kind of agree with the game takes place in 2039 and some of the things that they're presenting they're good thought experiments in a way but 2039 feels a little too soon Uh, I think if you did something like 2050 it might be a little more believable for the kind of world that they're trying to present Uh, but it just feels like we'll get there eventually but maybe not in 20 years so just something to think about there overall I'm having a really good time with it Um, I'm it may be certainly on the top 10 list by the end of the year, but I, mean, I don't know if anything's going to be God of War. That's going to be a real, real tough hurdle to beat, but I'll keep trying when I can, you know, when I have time with the puppy, uh, but I'm, I'm enjoying it so far. Let's talk about games that are coming out this week. First of all, we have Far Cry 3 Classic Edition. This is if you have the season pass for Far Cry 5. It comes out to PS4 and Xbox One. This is Far Cry 3 essentially on those platforms on May 29th. That's on a Tuesday. You have Ikaruga, the classic top-down 2D shooter where you're switching between two different colors and that color's bullets don't affect you. Uh, Bullet hell at its finest. Vertical switch screen and all. Tuesday, May 29th on Nintendo Switch. And then Street Fighter 30th Anniversary Collection. May 29th, again, that Tuesday on PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. You may still be able to pre-order it in certain places like on PS4 and Xbox One and get Ultra Street Fighter 4 as a download there. So uh, keep an eye on that if you're trying to maybe jump on that before uh, the release date there on Tuesday. But this is essentially Street Fighter's history before 4. I think it's like 12 games, and you're really trying to go into like the history of Street Fighter. Maybe like from its roots see how it developed, maybe learn the basics of the classic 2D fighting game with with the quarter circle forwards and the Shoryuken motions and all that, you know, everything that goes with it. So if that's something, especially on Nintendo Switch, if you want that portable, jump on that one for sure. But that'll do it for this episode of The Power Switch. We are hosted by RhymesWithAsia.com and we're on YouTube and Twitch at RhymesWithAsia. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Power Switch. I am at Pete Speakeasy. You can email us any questions, concerns, comments, or opportunities at powerswitchpod at gmail.com. You can subscribe to The Power Switch on podcast services such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. And if you could be so kind as to help and leave a review, 
that would really, really be a benefit to us. Most importantly, to participate in future episodes, you should join our community on Discord by visiting ryamsthasia.com slash call. Now, it's a small but growing community, so now is the perfect time to have your voice heard on this podcast. If you want a YouTube video to watch, uh, I would recommend Mega64 put out a new video that was an animation of one of their podcast moments called Greatest Underdog Story. Uh, Now, this one means a bit to me because when my wife and I went to PAX East and they had the Mega64 panel, uh, they said they were broadcasting it live on Twitch, but they were not able to show too much. Uh, A lot of videos that weren't suitable to go out over Twitch, and it was a great time. A uh, great panel overall. I will remember that for a long time. But this is one of the videos they showed at that panel. Uh, and it was the this greatest underdog story moment. Uh, kind of ripping on uh, the idea of Turbo and RIPD when they came out around the same time. And Ryan Reynolds starring in both. And the idea of Turbo being the fastest snail ever. And it's, it's a good time. Uh, just give that a watch. It's, it's a fun time overall. So yeah, definitely uh, participate in our E3 yes or no contest. Uh, looking forward to getting submissions for that. Again, we're running out of days here you know, very soon. If you're tuning in live, you may be missing it uh, if it's out on Monday. On Monday, of course, you'll have the, we're in the two bonus point time, but if you're listening now, I'll publish it on Twitter. I mean, we'll only a couple days left for the, the four bonus point uh, category. If that's up to you, if you'd rather wait for more leaks, news, and things to come up before E3 to help your uh, help your overall chances at scoring the best, that's certainly up to you as well. That's all part of the bargain. So anyway, it's that's pretty much all we have to cover. I mean, hopefully we'll have another good week of E3 hype living, leading up to it, and it uh, should be a good time overall. So stay tuned to our Discord channel as everything develops, and regardless whether it's live or on your own time, I look forward to you joining us for our next episode. With that, I am Peter Spezia. Until next time. Switch up, call in, game on.